Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berende, and today I have with me Rosie Aiello, and we are going to be discussing leaving unhealthy relationships. Let me tell you a little bit about Rosie. Um, Trapped in an emotionally, mentally, and financially abusive relationship for nearly 25 years, Rosie Aiello engineered an international escape from the Middle East to save her daughter and herself from domestic violence. Nearly mentally destroyed and stunned by PTSD, within a few short years after arriving back to her home state of California, she became a speaker, best-selling author, and an international award-winning entrepreneur. With her programs, Rosie now empowers women to find their voice, worth, and confidence so they can create a joyful, productive, and fully expressed life. She and her daughter, Sunny, are authors of the upcoming mother-daughter memoir called 11 Hours to Freedom, where they share their journey of escape, freedom, and healing. They are now on a global movement to help save one million women and their children from this insidious abuse. Welcome to the show, and thank you for being with us today, Rosie. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. Um, So I'm going to ask you what I love to ask all of our guests. What are your superpowers? Well, this is really fun to to really kind of think about it in that way. And I think, you know, um, a couple of my or a few of my superpowers are the first one is probably planning. So, you know, you can imagine planning, you know, executing an escape is, takes a lot of planning, which was not my first escape. But planning, um, I think, would be at the, at the top of it. And I think another really superpower of mine is really leading women forward. It's, it's the forward momentum, looking forward and having them achieve their, their objectives. And um, the last one, at least, that I'll share, <laughs> of course, we all have many superpowers as we were discussing before, is truly is compassionate listening. Mm. I, I think um, I, I can hold space for a lot of people and, and I enjoy doing that. Beautiful. That's an important, important gift in the work that you do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I'm so curious to hear more about your story. I mean, all, all that I really know is what's in your bio. Um, would you, does it feel right to sort of give me and our listeners just a brief little synopsis of sort of what you were inside of that you needed to escape? I mean, we're talking about leaving unhealthy relationships here today. And I think, I think it's really important to define what an unhealthy relationship is because you know, a lot of the work that I do and that a lot of people who've been on the show do is help people to, to, you know, heal their relationships. And yet I think that it's really fair to state that there is a, there's a line that once you cross, like there's really no healing. There's no, there's no resolving some, uh, like sometimes the, the resolution is to leave. And, um, and, where is that line? How does it get defined? You know, I, I think if you could maybe share your, a little bit of your story, we learn so much through story um, that there might be some listeners who could really identify with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, of course, hindsight is great, and I didn't know anything, you know, when I was first in, into the marriage. But 
um, I just, you know, from the get go, even when we were just dating, I, I just, I, I always felt uncomfortable or I wasn't doing enough and it wasn't quite enough. And he would get upset and, but he would also just, you know, like tell me, you know, look, you know, you know, you, you know, if I'm important to you, then you'll do blah, blah, blah. So it was, things were couched quite a bit like that. So, um, but you know, these men are, you know, have a really great side to them. You know, they're charming, they're smart. I mean, he was probably the smartest guy I've ever been with. I mean, just super smart and very cultured. And we had met at the university, but we didn't get married for, you know, a, a long, long time, you know, since then because of different relationships that interceded in, the, in between. However, um, when I was in college and first met him, you know, and of course you're, you know, you're younger and freer and you want that freedom. And I felt him being a little bit oppressive then. So it's like, well, I don't have time for that. But when he came back into my life, I'd actually was getting out of a, um, a, a marriage. And so here he came and he was just, you know, so doting and um, so much attention, which I didn't get at all in my prior relationship. So, you know, I was already kind of in a weakened state. But, um, you know, we had a lot of fun together. We shared a lot of values together. You know, all the things that, you know, if you're going to look down a checklist, you know, he would, he checked off so many. And because I had been in a prior relationship where we didn't argue, we just, there was like zero communication. He, on the other hand, communicated a lot, you know, but usually it was with anger, which was something I wasn't really used to at all. But I thought, oh, well, he's angry. Well, that's good because, you know, that means we're in a good relationship. You know, people should get angry and we should talk about it. So um, I started to develop an early pattern, which, of course, I didn't know until I, this, you know, landed back in the United States and started healing, that this became a pattern of making excuses for his behavior. So already, you know, just for your listeners, if they're making excuses for their partner's behavior, this is a red flag. But, you know, we had enough good times together um, that it offset the bad times. And you mentioned, you know, how you, you know, in this in the podcast and your uh, coaching and everything else about he helping, you know, people heal their relationships. And, of course, we have cultural mores. We have religious mores. We have a lot of these things, you know, just, you know, family, you know, pressures to keep also to keep the marriage together. And then when you have a child, we have one, it's just like, well, you need to stay together for the child. So all of these mm -hmm. things were putting pressure, you know, on me. And it's like, well, I just, I've got to keep this marriage together for no matter what. I'm going to make it work. I was really successful in business, you know, working in corporate. I surely can make this marriage work. Uh, again, these are warning signs of how, how, how this is negative and destructive thinking and behavior on my part. So um, it, as we, the longer we were married, things got worse. And then as my daughter, um, just really, well, I'll give you two instances of my daughter. When my daughter was really young, I mean like seven years old, so children know very, um, we'd be sitting at the table and he would start getting on my case about something. And she would say to him, Papa, you know, um, that's really not very nice how you're talking to mama. And, um, and so he would stop 
And then it became sort of a joke. He would say, oh, you know, your mama's a little lawyer, you know, because she was defending me. So on the one hand, she was quite aware. And secondly, it was so humiliating for me to have to sit there and listen to my seven-year-old daughter defend me. But I knew that if I opened my mouth, it would have made things worse. And was he, um, what was the point where you knew like you needed to leave? So then when my, then I started to, you know, I've got my hands on some books and started to understand what verbal abuse was, emotional abuse was. And I told my daughter when she was 16, I go, look, you know, this is what's been happening. You know, I didn't know it until now. And, um, and I said, you know, when you're ready, you know, we can leave. Now I was in the Middle East. I lived in the Middle East for almost, you know, for 25 years. I was in Saudi Arabia and then Lebanon. So in the Middle East and in Lebanon, uh, you cannot, um, custody goes automatically to the father until they turn major at 18. Hmm. And so there is no way in heaven I would have ever left my daughter. I just, I just wouldn't be able to do it. So we had to wait till she turned major. And when she was 20, she was uh, at the university, at the American University of Beirut. And one day she came home to me and she said to me, Mom, you've got to get me away from my abusive father. Um, because as she was going through adolescence, and you know how children are, adolescence is a time of pulling away. It's a time of challenging your parents. I mean, you know, everybody knows, but for him, he viewed it as a personal attack on him. Mm -hmm. And so she couldn't grow up being a normal teenager. So things were really bad. It was in, in Lebanon, we have real landmines, you know, you don't know when you're going to step on one, it's going to blow up. And that's how it became. I never knew what was going to happen. And he would just blow up at me. So when she said that, that day, um, I had, uh, I planned within four months, the escape of our lives. Wow. Um, this is a, it's a really, fascinating story and I want to hear more and I'm sure our listeners want to hear more. We do have to go to a quick break. Um, Before we go to break, can you tell everybody where they can go to find out more about you and your story and your work? Oh, absolutely. They can go to the, the love is kind network.com and there is a gift for them. They can, um, there's a free gift right there. It's called um, 11 keys to confidently ask for what you want. Because I got the ask kicked out of me, you know, during that, you know, 25 years of losing my voice, my worth, and my confidence. And so I'm just giving back to what I know a lot of women suffer from. So again, it's love, the loveiskindnetwork.com. You can do forward slash gift and it will take you right there to the gift. And of course, there's other things you can see on the website, but it's, it's really good. It's, uh, we're, we're really proud of it. We're growing the, the website to really, help women understand that they deserve to be treated with kindness. Beautiful. 
Well, we've been talking with Rose Aiello about leaving unhealthy relationships. More when we get back, so stay tuned. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. All right, and we're back. Um, So you were talking a little bit before the break about engineering your escape. And you mentioned that this was that planning is like one of your superpowers. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about what that entailed for you? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I, let's see. So as soon as she told me, I went into action immediately. Okay. So I'm going to set the scene for you. We lived in a um, condominium. I'll say condominium for people worldwide. It's called a flat overseas, but it, and it was a two-story one. And we were sort of like on the third and fourth floor. And my husband um, worked out of his home. So he was home pretty much 24-7. And there are lots of, in, in Lebanon, there are lots and lots of electricity outages. So when I started to plan the escape, I started to so let me, oh, one other thing I want to tell you, everybody, is that um, I was married, you know, again, almost, it was 25, almost 25 years at that time. So in that time period, only three people knew what I was going through, my brother and my two best friends in the United States. So when I planned the escape, I had to reach out for help. So I talked to two of my girlfriends in, in Lebanon. They're, they were both Americans. One was married to Lebanese. One was married to uh, a British man. So um, I got their help and told them what I was doing, had full support. And, and so I would go into the village and pick up some bo- empty boxes and go into the guest bathroom, lock the door, and start packing up things. Um, and then hoping that, you know, he would be out of the house, there would be electricity. I would take the box downstairs, hoping that nobody in the building, and this is a small building, we only had like six families that lived there would see me and then I would stick the boxes in the trunk and then the next day and I usually did that at night so no one would be looking and then the next day I would try to make an excuse to get out of the house and go drive the box down to my friend's house and I did that for four months or three and a half um with and you know when you're hiding something, you know, you're a little bit hyper, you know, a little bit even more on alert. So I was constantly afraid. So I started to, you know, make lists of things that I had to do. Um, when you're in such a hyper alert stage of, of so much fear, um, it's hard to really think and process. Your frontal lobes start to shut down. So I... Um, started to communicate with my brother who helped me be, you know, who was the brain behind, you know, when my non-functioning brain. So I, I made lists and lists of things I had to do. I copied um, critical documents. I put some documents on flash drives. Um, my brother helped me line up some 
divorce attorneys that I would meet upon arrival. I, you know, and I just slowly started to remove things from the house, but things that he wouldn't notice. I mean, you know, the first things I took were the photo albums. Um, but I, and I only took a few clothes because I had to, I had to make it look like, you know, I was still there. So if I emptied the closets, he would have been like, well, where are your clothes? Right? Mm-hmm. So the other thing I want to share is that we as a family, because I'm from California and we met in California and he has friends there too, we would go to California every year for vacation so I could visit my family and my daughter could, you know, connect with her family and here. So I engineered it so that we would go to the United States together. Mm. You know, the three of us would be going together. So um, I don't know if people have read the book by Viktor Frankl and how he escaped. He escaped, you know, in plain sight as well. He escaped, you know, hiding himself in a truckload of naked dead bodies. So I wasn't naked, but I was with him. And when we landed in San Francisco International Airport, my brother was there. Um, He wasn't too surprised, even though my brother had never been there before. Um, He he wasn't too surprised because that's family and that's what family does. And I had already planned with my brother. I knew exactly, exactly where my brother would be in the crowd. I wouldn't have to look for him. I knew exactly. So my daughter and I took our our luggage carts, put them behind my brother. My brother walked over to him and said, look, Rosie's upset. She can't be with you. She needs some time alone. And I was so terrified. I couldn't even have my brother say to him, she's leaving you. It took a lot of um, support by um, psychologists to help me to get there. Uh, I was so terrified. What was the, what was the main fear you think? Well, um, you know, I, I, you know, he he was, he got so uh, violent, you know, I just didn't know what he was going to do. And I couldn't, you know, you never, ever, ever tell somebody you're going to lose, leave them. And in my case, he could have prevented me from leaving the country. So we would have been really stuck there. How so, you, just because of the way the law works? Over there? Yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, technically, I, I need permission to fly. And that's why I didn't even try to attempt to fly out by myself. Um, it's a tiny country. I was afraid, you know, I mean, <laughs> if I talked to a travel agent, because it wasn't in the days where you do everything online. You know, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I... Um, was afraid that, oh my God, if somebody knew, you know, his wife is doing it and the way my ID is, you know, it says I'm the wife of. And so, you know, people talk, it's like, you know, you, you, you know, when you're doing an escape, you, you let as few people know of the escape as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just terrified of him. You know, I had terror and I didn't, and I was on hyper alert. And that's what happens when you're in this situation for so long. It didn't even, occur to me that I was safe. You know, I didn't feel safe until I was in my brother's car. Um, and that was sort of, you know, a quasi safety, but you've, you are filled with terror. Uh, and I was just, just scared to death. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I think, like I said at the beginning, I think we learn a lot through story. 
a lot more than like, what are the 10 easy steps to leaving your I feel like there's just so much in, right. in a story and in the way we tell stories. So thank you again for that. You're welcome. Um, I'm curious about something about this, this concept of like being saved versus saving yourself. Cause it's very clear to me from, from the way that you told that story and, and from your experience that while you had support in the process, like you really, you came to that decision on your own and you got yourself and your daughter out of there. Yeah. You know, Tatiana, this is really huge, you know, and, and I think as so many women feel so disempowered and during those four months when I was planning the escape, I, and I knew nothing about personal development or mantras or affirmations. I knew zero. However, I just created these mantras for myself. And I said, my daughter and I deserve a happy and joyful life. I don't need to be a, a martyr. This, I only have one life to live. And by golly, I'm going to live it. So those sentences I repeated, I don't know, hundreds of times a day to get me through. Because it's like, I, I just, I would sit back and I go, I can't live like this. I mean, my daughter and I, unbeknownst to each other, <clears throat> were both suicidal. Um, you know, we kind of knew about it when we started writing her memoir and started sharing. I, it's just like, I mean, you have one life. I, I, I just like, I, I wasn't going to, I couldn't live this way. I just couldn't live this way. So, you, you, you know, I found that inner strength. I mean, it was on a thread. <laughs> it was on a thread, but I guess it was enough. So you don't need a lot, but you do need support. And there was no way, no way I could have done it by myself. Just no way. You need somebody to be with you, you know, virtually or whatever, guiding you and supporting you. Because it's, it's very difficult. Um, yeah. And I mean... And you had to reach out for that support. I mean, you said that at the time, no one really knew what you were going through. Right. So you had to kind of, you had to take that first step to, to reach out and ask for the help and to, and to let people know what was happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, this brings up for me, at least the topic of, uh, of shame. You know, mm -hmm. I was so ashamed that I never told anybody and my brother and these two best friends of mine in the United States, they didn't know anything until I had been married 18 years because I didn't know anything. For 18 years, I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship. And, I, and this seems shocking, but as I talk to women all over the world, this is a common theme as well because you're, not, you're just not expecting it. And I didn't know what the, you know, which is what we're getting into. I didn't know what the characteristics were of it. Yeah, and so, so what are some of those hallmarks? Like if you can name a few, I mean, you, you already named, named some of them when you were telling your story. Right. Um, so I think the most important thing is to, um, to look at patterns uh, you know, behavior patterns. So for example, if you remember, I was telling you, oh, you know, he was, you know, there were times when he could be kind and he was funny mm -hmm. and we got along really well. But then out of literally nowhere, 
he would get really angry. Now, m most of my abuse was verbal, uh, uh, emotional, financial, you know, sprinkled with a little bit of physical and uh, sexual abuse. So, what, so during the good times, I'm making excuses for the bad times. Sure. Okay. So this is a flag. This is a red flag. I want, you know, if you see you're making excuses. So, so then it's to pay attention to the pattern because, you know, people get angry, right? But, you know, or you get in a conflict or whatever, but does the behavior change? Do they ever um, acknowledge their behavior? Like my husband never, and I mean never acknowledged any wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. He never, he, his, his MO, his, what he used and usually did was he would blame me or when we were, you know, we were talking and he would twist it around because he was the logical one and he would remind me, you know, I'm, he's the logical one. I'm the emotional one. And so he, therefore, and his memory is better. He would make these emphatic statements and I would kind of doubt myself, but there was no room to really really validate there was no room and there was no one to validate it to with plus i was hiding in shame so you can see this big conglomerate mm -hmm. so if you're feeling um it just feels off and you're you're saying oh well it must be me i'm oversensitive which they'll tell you that's not true you're never oversensitive if they tell you you know you're um it's your fault and and you know your body is telling you, no, it's not really my fault, but just like, well, I guess it must be my fault. You accept it. Mm -hmm. That's a red flag, right? All these things where you're kind of like shaking your head, but then you just accept them. And then now, now he's opened the door. And so it's easy at, you know, once he opens that door to self doubt, it's really easy to keep that door really wide open. And then he just, he just feeds your self doubt all the time. So it's catching yourself and saying, yeah, and knowing that people are here who understand, which, you know, I didn't get that. So it's like, don't be alone in this. Reach out to somebody if it's feeling off and don't think, oh, well, I'm overreacting. Wrong thinking, just letting you know, wrong thinking, because that's what keeps you in these bad situations. If they acknowledge, they change their behavior, you know, they apologize, they change your behavior. That's what you want to see. If they apologize, now I had somebody, he wasn't apologizing, but talking to women, you know, they'll apologize and they'll be, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, you know, I love you, come back to me and da, 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 all this stuff, but they don't change their behavior. That's a red flag. Right. And I would also say someone who's totally not unwilling to seek support, outside support along with you, like couples counseling or something like this. Yeah, my uh, my husband would say, "Oh, Rosie, you know, I'm I support you. Whatever you want, you know, you know, I'm, you know, you can go to that therapist and, and get the help you need. You know, anything to fix you, mm -hmm. Rosie. I'm I'm all behind it. <sighs> right. And those are that's what those are words he used to say to me. And I was like, okay, you know. So <laughs> and yet, those of us who work in in the field of relationships know that it takes two to tango, and that the, it's never a one way street. Um, when there's challenges in relationships, they can't just have one person right. working on their stuff. I mean, you can, and oftentimes what happens is it creates such an imbalance in the relationship that the relationship will topple. 
anyway, um, because one person's evolving or choosing that path and the other person is not. Right. And it's, you know, it's sad. So I, you know, I come from, you know, I, I grew up Catholic. Um, my husband is Greek Orthodox, which is, you know, c close to Catholicism. Um, so th those played really strong, you know, the Christianity played strong roles in, in staying. And it took a lot. It, you know, it took a lot to believe in myself. And when my daughter and I arrived in the United States and, you know, everybody was, we just felt like everybody was against us. My family supported us for sure. Um, but it was just like, I go, look, honey, you and I are the only ones who know the truth. We know what went behind those four, you know, behind the doors, closed doors. We know the truth. We just have to believe in our truth no matter what everybody is saying. Oh, he's such, he's such a sweet guy. How could you leave him and all of this? I says, we have to hold on to our truth, um, which is not easy. So and there was never, would this all happened when no one else was around, everything that was occurring? There was, there was never a friend who was like, hey, like, I don't like how he's talking to you or? No. There wasn't, or if anybody said noticed anything, um, nothing was ever said to me. Because are you going to just tell your friend, "Hey, I don't like the way your husband's treating you"? Well, I have. <laughs> but, right? Well, it's because you live here, right? <laughs> right? And you're a trained coach, right, in relationships. So you've got an expertise where you can do that, where you're more perceptive. But the you know most people are not. Most people are not as um, bold. And living in the Middle East is doesn't allow for it. Yeah, I was curious about that. I mean, from just like a cultural perspective, is it sort of more assumed that the man is going to be a little bit more aggressive and I think, you know, you know, it's a, obviously in the Middle East, it's a very patriarchal society. Um ours is not too far behind, sadly, you know, we're moving up, but you know, all the studies that I have read, you know, are all with um, American um, men and Western men and stuff like that. But for sure, you know, men grow up entitled there, right? They grow up entitled. But there are kind Lebanese men, for sure. You know, right. um, there are kind Saudi men, because I worked in, you know, lived in Saudi Arabia just from, my, you know, talking to my girlfriends. Uh, but it's just hard to, um, I mean, you, we shouldn't make excuses, you know, no matter what the culture is, right? Sure. I think, you know, and that's been my journey is like, no matter what, you know, I deserve to be treated with kindness. Yeah. You deserve to be treated with kindness. You know, yeah, we could have a conflict, but it doesn't mean insults. It doesn't mean threats. You know, my um, husband threatened my daughter and I all the time. I mean, he would, I mean, can you imagine a little girl hearing, you know, being, you know, hearing her father so angry at her mother and her that he said, just pack up and go to California. I mean, she never lived in California. She was born overseas, but just like being thrown out of the house. I mean, that traumatized her. Um, and part of our story, which we're writing in 11 Hours to Freedom, our memoir is to help people understand the impact to children, you know, the trauma that they're facing being growing up in an environment like this. Mm -hmm. um, and the difficulties that they face and developing their own worth, their own confidence. And, and like I referenced before, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a good role model to her because 
my survival mechanism was to keep quiet because I had experienced when I tried to defend myself, it was just like adding uh, fuel to the fire and would made things worse. But from her little innocent eyes, she didn't know that. Right. She saw a mother not standing up to her or not standing up for herself. That's what she experienced. Right. So what does your work look like now? How do you, how do you work with women and helping them to leave their unhealthy relationships? I work with women truly to help them understand, you know, help them reclaim their voice, you know, like what, what is important to you, you know, in a relationship and that you deserve it. And, you know, sort of like really help make, allow them to understand and really get, get it that they deserve to be treated with kindness. It's not something you have to earn or work for. So as I work with women, you know, in my programs, it's just to help them know what, what's important to them, learn how to establish their boundaries while honoring themselves and others, how to ask for what they want. I mean, I, I, my voice was shut down. You know, you look the same on the outside, you look great, but inside, you know, I was just shattered into a million pieces and I know women are too. And I, I didn't know how to ask. I was too afraid to ask because every time I asked for something, I would get you know, verbally beaten up. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important to that, like what you're really illustrating in this conversation, um, like it doesn't have to come to actual physical blows for it to be an abusive relationship. And I think that that's a pretty common misconception. It's like, well, he's not beating me, so I can still make it work. Yes. Thank you for, um, uh, highlighting that. And that's exactly it. And that's what the, the crux of our story is too. Um, that abuse comes in many shapes and sizes and forms. And what I have discovered is that, you know, most of the women are very bright because they'll have a tendency to blame themselves. And I'm here to say, you're not at fault for this. You're not at fault for this. Um, the men are very clever. And like I said, once they crack that door of your you know, causing self-doubt on you, you know, it just, they just pour it on and they know how to pour on the charm. So you're constantly off balance. It's like, okay, he's nice. Oh, he's, he's, you know, he's insulting me, treating me like a child. Oh, oh, he's taking me out to a nice dinner. He's, oh, what a beautiful gift he gave me. Oh, the flowers, you know, so you get your, your, your mind, you start to go crazy by the, the conf conflicting messages that you're receiving. And yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's fair to say, too, that those men are conflicted within themselves, not as in like an excuse for that behavior, but I all, like, I'm, one of the things that I feel really strongly is about is not creating walls and barriers. Um, and I think it's a really important like, to, to have boundaries and to, to firmly stand for like, yeah, I deserve to be treated with kindness. Like, oh, absolutely. Everyone deserves to be treated with kindness. That's a basic human right, right there. Um, but I also just because of the work that I do, I know that these patterns, they don't just like come out of nowhere in a person. Like he learned that from somewhere. That is probably a generational ancestral thing that he's working out too. And while he may not have the presence to ever come to a place of understanding that that's something that he needs to address. Um, I think it's, I just, I just feel like it's important to name that to not, the last thing that I want to do is like fall into like a demonizing 
thing with this. And, and it's like, how do we hold the balance of a really clear boundary without demonizing? Um, is, is that's just something that I sort of sit with in my, in my daily life and in my work with this. And like, cause I think that there is, I think there's a, I think there is a, a middle ground that is like being able to objectively see a situation to call out what is that was unacceptable, not okay behavior to support someone in making a choice to stand for themselves and to stand for their truth and to acknowledge that like on the other side is also a human being who in order to treat somebody like that has to be conflicted within himself to begin with. Right. I am sure, um, you know, especially after having studied this so much now, I am sure he's suffering in his own, his own way. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I never met his father because his father had passed away when he was, you know, in his late teens. Um, and again, just as we were talking about, just knowing that culture. Mm-hmm. So um, what I have learned is, yes, he may be suffering and he may be in pain. And as long, you know, as you mentioned before, is he's not willing to recognize his responsibility or um, come to terms with, you know, active changes to improve his behavior in the relationship. There is no way that I am able to love him into changing or making him change or anything like that. And and I'm, yeah. And I'm really glad that you said that because that's not where I was going with, with that statement at all. And I think that's a, that's a trap that a lot of women fall into. It's like, we see, we see the good, the good, like true essence of the person. And we believe that if we just love that in them enough that they will change. Right. Yeah. And I, I knew you weren't, but I wanted to make a statement so that yeah. women listening to this could think, oh, you know, because I tried up until, up until the beginning of the four months, I tried to keep making that marriage work. You know, I, I saw therapists there. I saw priests there. I talked to his cousins. I mean, I, I tried every, I feel 100% common. I checked every box of possibility to make the marriage work. Um, and then when I came here and realized there's like, there's going to be no chance it would have ever worked because the other sort of hallmark of these kinds of relationships is that they'll say, oh, well, I'll just give my own example. <laughs> It'll sound ridiculous. You know, here's a woman with an MBA and this is what I'm doing. So he says, oh, well, I want you to fold my shirts this way. I go, okay, fine. You know, you know, and organize them this way. You know, I told you I like to organize. I'm planning, right? So I, I folded his shirts just the way he asked me to. And so that was good for a few months. And out of the blue, he said, I don't want to bet this way. And he just throws all the shirts on, on the bed and says, redo them. And I don't like the way you're doing them. Mm. So the pattern, the pattern I discovered was I will reach what I'll call the goal. He set me a goal. I do this and I'm goal oriented, right? You know, I'm going to get this right. So I reach it. And then either right when I reach it, he, you know, I reach it and he changes it or right before I reach it, he changes the goal. So like I'm never attaining. Mm. And that may, you know, maybe some of the listeners are like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's like he keeps telling me I keep doing this. It. Like it's like I'm never enough. It's never enough. I never feel good enough. I never can please him enough. It's never right enough. Um, he's always finding some 
you know, constant criticism of how I'm doing something, these kinds of things. So what I discovered here, and I share it with a lot of my, you know, women I, I coach is like, you know, just like having your hand, you're taking your hands together, you know, having your hands and then opening them and then now putting your hands together. And, you know, one, one hand, let's say your right hand is a really good side. I mean, this guy is so great. You, you just like, it's, it's just fabulous. And then your left hand is like the, the abusive side. And so when you put them together, you go, okay, now fold your fingers down. Hold your fingers down. Now try to separate your hands. It's like you can't. So if you want the good, just remember the bad is always going to be there. It cannot be separated. You know, the, these men who are unwilling or unable, you know, unable to change. Okay, they're unable to change. That's how it's going to be. And that's where we get to, you know, like what you're referring to. If they can't change, it's not our responsibility to try to make them change because you know we can't. Right. But just know that they are not, they're unable to change. And that's why I say it's not that they use in the true sense of the word unable to, right? Yeah. 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 And I think that that, I mean, I've, I think that's just a really important thing to remember. It can be a really hard place to come to when you're in a relationship and you realize that, you know, this person that there is a, because there's a part of you that does genuinely love them. And we want the best for those that we love. And yet we do have to put, especially when we have children, we have to put ourselves and our children first um, when it comes to, when it comes to relationship. Yeah. I, oh, it was very hard. It was, it was extremely hard. That's why I had to create the mantras for myself. And it took a lot of therapy, you know, even while in the beginning stages for me to, you know, to, to be able to, to, to stand up for myself. Um, I mean, I suffered a lot. It's like when I first discovered that I was in an abusive relationship, I didn't want to admit it. And this is another thing, you know, women will go into denial. Right. I wouldn't do denial because it's like, no, this cannot be happening to me. Well, it's also easier. Um, mm -hmm. It's easier to sort of check out and just continue on with the, the status quo, even though it's a really unhealthy habit and a really unhealthy relationship at least you know what you're getting because you've been in it for such a long time it's way easier than to than to actually look at getting out especially when there's children involved you know yes I think a lot yeah. of women are like oh well I, he's not beating me and like I it's just too, logistically too challenging to even try to think about how to leave uh, and it is. I mean, it truly is. And that's why I, I tell women, you know, don't do it alone. But let me tell you, um, there is nothing like your freedom, your, your own personal freedom, your, your, your soul freedom. Um, it hasn't, you know, I've had a journey. <laughs> it's not like I'll be just in cream here. I, you know, I work hard to keep my freedom mm -hmm. you know, in, in the sense of, you know, I look out my window and I go, yeah, I can, I can go out when I want to go out. I can go see a friend when I want to go see a friend. Um, you know, I can make decisions and it's, you know, I, I know you understand this is not being self-centered, you know, it's like, you know, if, if you're in a relationship, well, I am you know, just totally irreverent to, to your spouse. and like, you know, I'm going to just go out tonight to dinner and out to dinner with my friends, honey. And you know, Oh, I forgot to tell you, sorry about that. You know, obviously not, you know, you respect each other, but when your, your whereabouts have been, you know, 
you couldn't leave. You were, you know, he would call me, you know, umpteen times a day. Where are you? When are you coming back? So my salvage, it was my favorite place for freedom was going grocery shopping. Mm. And even to this day, I feel this sense of freedom because I know, um, you know, I'm not going to get yelled at (laughs) or put down for doing something because that was for the family. Mm. Well, I... We are running out of time here. I just, I want to say thank you so much, Rosie, for coming on the show, for sharing your story and for the work that you're doing with women around the world. You can find out more about Rosie Aiello and her work at theloveisgindnetwork.com. Um, that's T-H-E-L-O-V-E-I-S-K-I-N-D-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. And yeah, thank you again. For, for being on the show today and for sharing yourself with us. Oh, well, it's been a real pleasure, Tatiana. Thank you for having me. And um, I just, again, send love and kindness to everybody and just to remind them that they deserve to be treated with kindness. And that often starts with being kind to yourself. Absolutely. And so to our listeners, uh, thank you again so much for tuning in. And until next time, Go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.